Break out your wireframes and heat up those Git repos. We're ready to tackle topics ranging from accessibility to front-end design, user experience, and beyond. You're listening to the Drunken UX Podcast with your hosts, Michael Feenan and Aaron Hill. Jingle bells, Batman smells, drunken UX laid nag. It was called episode 105, and now it's the season finale. Yay! I'm your host, Michael Feenan. I can't sing or make up songs, especially on the fly. That's why I have a co-host. You know, we rehearsed this like five times, Michael. I know, and I still got the episode number wrong, so I'm pretty sure I just said 105 instead of 104. So, um, <laughs> it's this, this is uh. It's it's been a long time, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, it's been a long time, and uh, the numbers they blur together. Hey, thanks for joining us. You are listening to the Drunken UX podcast. I am your host, Michael Feen, and this is episode one hundred and four. It is the season finale, and I'm your other other host, Aaron. How are you tonight, Michael? Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna edit in some Vuvuzela sounds, like yeah, something clapping. Hey, everybody. Uh, this evening's episode, season finale, we're going to be talking about our naughty and nice list. Uh, it's Christmas time. In fact, I think, what is it, like uh, four days before Christmas when this is coming out? So five days before Christmas. So mm-hmm. consider this the Christmas present. Who who are we giving coal to? Who's going to get nice, shiny presents? Um, <laughs> alternatively, it's going to be our what are we looking forward to? What are we dreading mm-hmm. for 2021 in web tech? Uh, but I thought... Uh, we're going to go through, actually, a bunch of things mm-hmm. and just kind of uh, rapid-fire these things off and go through them for you and have some fun. Uh, and with that, be sure to go run by our sponsors over at Tella. Tella is a fantastic screen capture uh, platform that lets you use your browser to capture anything that you're showing or demonstrating or trying to um, help people with or create documentation for. Add your camera, add your audio, do it, edit it real quick in the system, make a really cool, sexy little video out of it, and you can go sign up for a free account. Just go to tella.com slash ducks, that's T-E-L-L-A dot com slash D-U-X. Indeed. No, not Indeed, that's a job platform, (laughs) this is Tella. No, the job platform is Aquint. Aquint is who I work for. We are a job platform as well. <laughs> but who's on first? I highly encourage. Hey, first, first nice, uh, uh, nice list item. Aquint. If you are a web developer, web designer, de- uh, programmer of any kind, marketer, copywriter, UX professional, um, packaging designer, we have jobs all across the country, all across the world. If you are in Australia or Japan or France or UK or Germany, we've got jobs all over the place. Go check us out. Go do your search. Many of those jobs are remote now, um, and we put those up front and center. <laughs> Was that an advertisement? I I said that very much like an advertisement. You know, everybody gets one. I think we've got about six or 700 job postings right now for all of that stuff. So it's like, hey, come check <laughs> us out. That's early, though. We're, we're not to the list yet. Um, I'm a, a sippy boy this evening, and unfortunately, I've been sick, actually. Uh, I've had a, a touch of cold. It is a cold. Um, I am negative by proxy. Um, that is not my band's name. Um, my wife came home sick the other day. But and hey, hey, negative by proxy would be a pretty awesome band name. Right? <laughs> I, I said this the other yeah. day. I'm like, that. that's the band name right there. Mm-hmm. Um, 
my wife came home with a cold just out of an abundance of caution. She made sure it went and got tested and everything. Mm. It was negative. It was fine. Um, I, of course, don't leave my house. So when I started getting the sniffles, it's like, no, I just got her cold. Right, right. And a little little scruffy-throated, um, little little sinusy pressure, a little sneezy. So, I, um, I had that I a few think- weeks ago, so I, I probably gave it to you. Yeah, it was. It might have been your fault. Um, the the packets, the packets. Yeah, um, yeah. U- uh, UDP is a lot less like a lot less regulation over the UDP packet. Yeah, yeah, and and God knows, uh, I could have gotten it at any time. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I'm drinking a tea instead. Oh wow! Just to soothe the throat. I'm. It's an it's an app. A, a spiced apple cider tea. Oh, that sounds uh, really good. A little good. honey, a little cream. Um, it's it's Tivana. I don't actually know anything about tea. Mm-hmm. It's just in my shelf, so I'm drinking it. Comes in a really fancy little like packet and stuff. It's not like your your fifty cent tea tea bags mm-hmm. from the grocery store. My, uh, but yeah, it's good. Um, it tastes like apple cider. My favorite tea is called Bengal Spice. It's by Celestial Seasonings, I think. And it's like a mixture of like cloves and cinnamon and probably allspice, maybe some cardamom. It's really good. It's very, it's like a real like warm, but also like zesty kind of flavor to it. Um, but that's not what I'm drinking tonight. But you're, I, you're being the real adult in the room tonight. <laughs> I'm, I'm having an adult beverage. I'm having the Glen Marangi Lasanta again. Um, it seemed appropriate for our season finale to finish yeah, off with our. Like a classic duck drink. I I was going to do the Royal Salute Twenty One. Mm-hmm. I've I think I've had it before. It's the the blue ceramic bottle. It's mm-hmm. a blended a twenty one blend. Um, it's real good. And that was I was going to do my special. So instead, I might have to kick off season five with it. So yes, stay and tuned I'll drink to tea. see. So I'll drink tea on the next one. You can drink the scotch, and I'll drink the scotch. Yeah. What, we'll can just we take put scotch in the tea. Yeah, Whis- sure. whiskey and tea is a thing. Hot toddy is that? Isn't yeah. that what that is? Do you want to put scotch into tea though? Like I have whiskey, just yeah. like I could just yeah, some four roses. I like I like putting Fireball. Ever since you turned me on to the the gingerbread cocktail that you told me about, like back in season one, um, I Fireball has been my choice cinnamon whiskey, and it is um, really good in cider. Yeah, it is, but also I hate Fireball because it's so sugary. Mm. If you are interested in something in the same vein okay. that is less sugary less cloying okay um though it is still a little sugary um oil fire oil fire okay oil fire it's it's made by a distiller i think out of tulsa oklahoma and it is a a cinnamon whiskey Mm -hmm. um but it's like much it's much more whiskey forward it's a it's an actual rye whiskey Mm -hmm. fireball is not whiskey let's be very clear Fireball is grain alcohol that oh. has sugar and syrup and cinnamon flavoring added to it. <laughs> um, but Oil Fire is actual rye whiskey okay. um, that they like blend in. Like, and I like I don't know what their process is. Like, art if it's artificial, real, how they do it. But it's like a it's like a pecan and cinnamon kind of flavor to it. All right, that sounds um, great. It's yeah, it's very good. Um, I enjoy it. I have been known to take a shot of it, even like a, <laughs> like a like a real boy, <laughs> and it's it's like thirty five percent alcohol, so like it's yeah, it, it's clearly watered down mm-hmm. in in that vein. But 
Um, I'll look something to tr- yeah, something to try cool. if you're interested in that area. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's see. So uh, I am Santa Claus in training. <laughs> I've done. Uh, I, I didn't this year because of the COVID stuff, but um, I have been known to do youth leadership at the middle school for sixth graders. Oh, cool. And I always this time of year I go in and I explain to the the little boys and girls of the community that. I'm growing this giant beard with the great big white skunk stripes because I am Santa Claus in training. <laughs> and so they better be good uh, because otherwise I will bring them lumps of coal and they do not believe me. <laughs> I saw I saw a webcomic recently where it was like a little kid getting a lump of coal on on Christmas Day. And then the kid's like, yeah. And then they put it on a shelf along with other minerals. <laughs> okay that's funny yeah (laughs) um i want to so i I said we're gonna do naughty and nice list so Mm -hmm. this is a a little bit of mix naughty nice look for looking forward to dreading we'll we'll, it'll make mix it up the first one i'm gonna throw out is an obvious one um and disrupted many of our lives though it isn't necessarily as web developer centric right but you probably heard about it whether on twitter the evening news um I, it made the rounds very quickly. Uh, Mr. Log for Shell is going to get a lump <laughs> of coal from me. <laughs> yeah, that that thankfully didn't. I don't. I don't think that hurt us at work at my job, or like it was. A, it was a quick fix if it was. Like we we patched it quickly. Um, but I, well, I know a bunch of people who Ruby. Like it, I'm like sure it. uses something else, right? Well, we, we. I mean, we're using Ruby, but. You know, we have like an enterprise stack, so we have stuff upstream from us that I think may have been using it. That um, yeah, yeah. You're, uh, you're not a hundred percent Ruby. So, and I say that because uh, Log4j, which is mm-hmm. the library, right, um, is a Java package. So, generally, you see it involved in Java applications. Mm-hmm. We use a content management system that is written in guess Java. <laughs> so you can imagine. Yes, we had a little bit of a hustle a few days ago to make sure things were safe and sound. Mm-hmm. Um, and and not just with that, like our our entire like software internal software development team is all Java. Like our platforms, Java, yeah. everything. So like there was a lot that went on behind the scenes. Luckily, wasn't something that I had to get my hands too dirty with. Mm-hmm. Um, I was very fortunate, but certainly folks around me were very active with it and needed you know access to information and answers to questions that only we could give in that case it it sounds like from what i read about it the severity of it was was severe like it allowed mm-hmm. remote code execution but um but that the patch or like the patching process was actually maybe not painless but certainly not nearly as bad as some other uh, vulnerabilities that have come out in the past few years it's yeah it wasn't bad um, we were able to, you know, fix it without like software patches mm-hmm. to the platform. We were able to do it like at the runtime commands, mm-hmm. um, and, and deal with that. The, so let's just to kind of give people the, the 50,000 foot view log for J is a logging tool. If you mm-hmm. can't tell from the name, what the thing about a logging tool is a logging tool has system access, file system access. It can write code, um, <laughs> or not code, but it can write stuff. It can write let's files. Just say. Yeah. Yeah, it can write files to your system, which means if there is a way to get something into it, Mm -hmm. you can conceivably write something bad to a server. And 
in the worst case scenario, you can not just write something bad, but you can also tell it to run something bad. Mm-hmm. The one of the things, I, and I mentioned this on Twitter. Um, the the thing that I find ironic about this is, yes, um, people were immediately trying to exploit it for things like ransomware mm-hmm. um, and, and whatnot, trying to get access. Because of course, anytime you get something like that, immediately you're worried about people getting access to like customer databases, sensitive information, um, anything like that. Because if you can read and write files to a server and run any kind of commands, mm-hmm. you conceivably have full access to that system at that point um, or something close to it, depending on how, you know, what privileges are running. As the kids say, um, own the box. Own the box. <laughs> uh, uh, no, it's it's Hack the Gibson. Thank you. Yes, almost got whiskey out of his nose. Almost got it. Um, <laughs> the... Oh. The thing that makes this uh, interesting to me, though, is the prevalence with which people are now using exploits like this to try to install crypto mining. Oh. Because the thing is, ransomware isn't necessarily as effective as knowing that, hey, we're going to go own two million boxes right. that we may be able to get, I don't know, 30 million clock hours, mm-hmm. CPU cycles out of before people get it all patched. Yeah. And we're going to put that all towards crypto mining and get guaranteed money out of it. Mm-hmm. And once they patch it, oh well, we've already made our money and left. Right. Yeah. Uh. So that's that's going to be something interesting I think to watch in the future. Yeah, because it's ugly, it's you know, it's easy to catch at least. That's mm-hmm. the one thing. Like you're going to see that CPU pegged and know <laughs> something bad happened, but like it doesn't this is a an issue of scale. You know, yeah. you you can go buy the exploit, run it through a botnet, get it on as many machines as humanly possible as quickly as possible, and then it's just about, yeah, make the money, as opposed to trying to handle a bunch of ransomware mm-hmm. that most people won't respond to. I I don't know the exact number on it, but I, I imagine that the scale of impact is comparable to if... Uh, like if WordPress had another Tim Thumb thing happen. That's yeah. I said the exact same thing in one of our meetings, and it's like while the absolute like concept of the exploit is certainly very different, mm-hmm. the spirit of it is very much the same. Tim Thumb, and this was Tim Thumb was a decade ago now. <laughs> Only a decade? I thought it was longer. No, it was 2011. I think was mm-hmm. when that was. Um, and so what it was is there was a, a image resizing plugin called Tim Thumb that mm-hmm. used – or was it called Tim Thumb or it used a package called Tim Thumb? I, it I was, forget now. It was, called, it was timthumb.php. Right. Um, and it was uh, – the, the issue was that it was – it was patched like shortly after the exploit was found. The problem was that it was used by so many themes. Right. And these themes didn't use the newer version or they didn't know to. Yeah, you and had to so, patch through your themes. Yeah. You didn't just see the plugin in right. your back end, for instance. And because it it resized images, so the same thing holds true, right? Mm-hmm. A log4j writes log files to a system. Tim Thumb wrote resized images to a file system. Mm-hmm. And this vulnerability allowed you to write just raw PHP files and run them on I, a system. I actually had... Um, I had two WordPress instances get owned by Tim Thumb, and that sucked. <laughs> That's like I I had I learned how to like you know reverse engineer it and everything, um, but man, it was like it was not a fun time. <laughs> and 
you know, you, you go back, you know, say 10 years, right? Mm-hmm. And that far back, WordPress was only running something like 15% of the web, 13% of the web. But that was still like, you know, as as far as surface area goes, it was still one of the largest used CMSs. Mm-hmm. And like you said, so many of those themes use that. It, it created this huge surface area for attack. And Log4J is an Apache product that everybody trusts and uses in basically any kind of Java application. Mm-hmm. Because nobody wants to go roll their own logging tool. It doesn't make sense to do that. Mm-hmm. So they're picking up the package, dropping it in, and boom. Uh, so, <laughs> yes. Lump of coal goes out to log for shell. Hopefully we don't see this again. Log, log next for shell year. is the name of the exploit. Yeah, log okay. for sh- log for shell is the name of the exploit. It's like it's CVE 2021 yeah. number 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 number. I forget what the exact number is now. Uh, but you can go read about it. Just just log for J exploit. Log for J uh, CVE and you'll get or just plenty of information. Look on the news. <laughs> Actually by the time this airs it might it might be out of the news. But yeah, it shouldn't be hard to find info on it. Okay, um, uh, I I want to give I I want to give a shiny present or what what's the opposite of coal? Is it presents uh, or is it? Yeah, good. Yeah, see, you got a, you got somebody on your nice list. Who's who's yeah. on your nice list? Um, so, uh, today or maybe it was yesterday, um, Rails version seven was officially released. I played with it a little bit during the release candidate, and it was nice. Like I I like, uh, I like some of the improvements they made to it. Um, specifically on how they handle assets like CSS and JavaScript. Um, that was really cool. Uh, I'll get back to that in a second. Um, I tried upgrading an app to it and it ran into some issues with one of my libraries that I was using. So I had to back down to six, but I brought over, um, a gem that they're using in seven called CSS bundling rails. And man, it's so much fun. I, I got, I've been getting to do a bunch of like, uh, writing a bunch of SAS and everything and, there's nothing revolutionary here as far as like what it does, but it, it packages all the assets in a way that you just reference the font or the image or the CSS file or whatever by name only. You don't have to give a path or anything and it just finds it. And it was so easy to use that when I initially used it, I was, it wasn't working right because I was trying to overcomplicate it and I didn't realize that it was just do all this by magic. So, um, that was a lot of fun. And in the process of this, I've gotten to learn, um, gotten to practice a lot of like CSS transitions and animations and a lot of like CSS2 and CSS3 stuff. That was really cool. So, and Rails 7 now too, that, um, it's much more, uh, like module bundler friendly for JavaScript, right? Like, yeah, it's, it's not like really embracing Webpack. I use Rollup for quite a bit of stuff. Yes. Um, I've used Parcel in the past, and now you can kind of bring... Yeah, yeah. You can do, like, they, with uh, the complement to CSS bundling rails is JS bundling rails. And so when you load these gems up, you um, for CSS, you tell it, uh, do you want to use SAS? Do you want to use Dart? Do you want to use you know, Bootstrap or uh, Tailwind? That's kind of the, the default. Um, I tried Tailwind, wasn't a huge fan. I like just doing regular SAS. That's just me. No disrespect to Tailwind, just not my thing. Um, and then the JS one, you pick if you want like Webpack, or I think Rollup was one of the options. Uh, there might have been a couple other options. I don't remember them, but you um, you just pick which one you want, and then it it uses that. 
you can continue to use Webpacker as they've done in five and six, or you can switch to one of the new things. Um, but the whole point was to get um, kind of decouple it from the JS like world because it <laughs> there's a lot of pain, a lot like a lot of pain trying to get a, an app spun up when you have to deal with like JavaScript assets and stuff. Just because like the um, the JS community, the way that they like manage all of their like plugins and libraries and everything is a lot more like distributed and there's a lot of like move fast break stuff attitude there um and it's just it's different than how the ruby community maintains gems which is a kind of at a different cadence so running into like a lot of mismatch there um kind of annoying uh but yeah so it's uh i guess my present goes to selfishly do Rails 7 slash CSS bundling Rails for giving me an opportunity to get to do SAS and stuff again. That was fun. Making everything old new again. Yeah, yeah. No, that's good. Uh, I've got one. I'll 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 put somebody on my, uh, I'm going to say nice list, um, and everybody else can argue <laughs> with me on this, but this this one's going on my nice list, not my naughty list. Um, okay. And that's uh, GA4 uh, for 2021. Okay, so what is GA4? GA4 is uh, Google Analytics 4. There was a three. There was a three. Technically, uh, Universal Wait, was, Analytics was, what was GA three. What was two? Uh, two would have been like uh, the original, not Universal Analytics, but whatever they were calling it right before that. This would have been like post Urchin acquisition, like the okay, basically V one of Google's actual ownership. Because prior mm -hmm. to that. If if you look at old any old old code, you might notice like references to like urchin, urchin. tracker yeah, and things yeah. like that, and that's what it was before that, and so that's sort of like the version one. Okay, so um, urchin was version one, and then Google Analytics proper by name was two, two, and then three then was UA was three, and now okay. we have GA four. Okay, so I missed I missed three. And, and my apologies to anybody if I yeah. did get that wrong and there was an extra <laughs> one in there, but that's I'm I'm working from memory on that, and that's a lot of years of change <laughs> to accommodate. Um, but no, I'm I'm excited about it. Um, I've been digging into it, learning my stuff on it. Um, I do plan on getting uh, some folks on the show to talk about it next year, um, next season rather, to really kind of explain the ins and outs of it. Because the thing is, and and the reason why I'm like I'm putting it on my nice list mm -hmm. because I've been using it. I've been experimenting with the power. They've done some things. They've brought some functionality from things like data studio mm -hmm. and just built it into GA four. So you can build really complex dynamic reports just right in the product. Um, it's super cool. It's also a completely breaking change. Like there is no migration from universal analytics to GA four. Huh. Oh, you start from scratch. It's a new interface. It's new terminology. It's new everything. Um, and I've seen more than once already people go into GA4 and be like, the hell is this? And just <laughs> peace out. Because it's like, it is not what they're used to seeing. And it, they can't get the information they want. And, like, everything's an event now. Events are a special thing in, in Universal Analytics. Like, you define events. You tell it exactly what you want an event to be and, and how they're categorized and, and labeled and all of this stuff. That's gone. Like everything, a page view is an event. A click is an event. But then you can add your own events into it. And there's a bunch of like system supported like default events. And then you can just make up your own. 
Um, <laughs> and it's a very new way of thinking about it, but it's so super powerful. So, like I say, I'm I'm going to let people fall on that topic where they want to, really. But I'm really excited about it. I'm excited to share with folks next season, you know, how this can be really powerful moving forward and how it's going to make a lot of things easier, too. Um, the process of tracking, like, custom stuff in Universal Analytics is a little cumbersome. Um, it requires, if you're using Tag Manager, you know, a lot of custom tagging or building stuff into your own JavaScript to pass through data layer variables and things like that. Not anymore. I mean, you still mm. need a little bit of that, but now you need less of all of that. Um, and it's going to be real cool. Uh, gone are the days of goal funnels. Building goal funnels by hand in, in Universal Analytics. Now you're just making conversions, and then you visualize how people get to those conversions. Hmm. It's it'll be cool, um, but it is a breaking change. It's going to take a lot of learning, and so that's like that's why I'm saying like this is for my 2021 list because yeah. I still have a lot to learn. Um, we have not fully deployed it anywhere um, within our company yet. Uh, you want to go next, or you want me to throw another one out there? All right, I really I don't want to go into this deeply tonight because because I feel like we probably talk about this in season five, but um, I'm throwing some coal at Web three. And it's going to be petty, spiteful coal. <laughs> Literal coal? <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, because they'll just burn it to run their crypto miners. Um, they, they're already buying up power plants in Pennsylvania. Uh, we they have recommis a, recommissioning coal-fired power plants. We had that happen at, uh, in Watkins Glen, um, like west of here, not far from here, but at the next lake over. A company bought a power plant over there for that purpose. Um, I, I, I think the shortest reason I can give here is I think the reason I dislike it is like, we're finding new ways to introduce artificial scarcity into an environment of abundance. And secondly, I mean, the environmental costs, whatever, like I, I accept that like some companies may be able to use solar panels or wind energy or whatever to power the crypto mines. My argument that would be okay well if that power could be generated we still have a lot of fossil fuel power powering our grid why are we not putting it towards that first but mainly though it's just this this idea like imagine i guess one of the nightmare scenarios i'm imagining is you get a you get an mp3 or whatever music file we're using in the future and you want to play it but you can't play it unless you own a token saying you own it and that's great for like the labels and maybe for like i guess in a way maybe for the artists but like we have memes we have all kinds of remixes and i don't just mean like music i mean just everything remix culture in general like if you look up um i think Larry Lawrence Wessig wrote about that right the re remix culture uh uh re uh you're oh, no, I'm, Cor I'm thinking, Cor i did a core doctor that's what I'm thinking of, I think. Okay, I was going to say, I, I did a uh, talk years ago called Remixology that yeah. was based on some of uh, Lessig's works on, yeah, the, uh, was, the the book with the black and white stripes. Damn yeah, it. yeah, yeah. It was, it was one free of them. Free culture, free culture. That's that. That was it. I have that book. Yeah, so, um, like, th these things, like internet memes, all this stuff, it's, it's all because the internet is a free and open place, and we have ways already to monetize stuff. We have ways already to sell things that are produced. Um, and if it's not being done correctly, I don't know that in 
that I don't know that this is solving that problem. I saw a thing today where someone was complaining that when when they got onto Twitter years ago, like near Twitter's inception, uh, they ran home and registered, basically name squatted like twelve hundred different names. They're going for like generic names, basically like like people do with domain names. They've got like shoes and cars and stuff, and then they get brands, and then Twitter took them away because they were you know squatting. And they were like, oh, well, with Web3, this would never happen. And like, ah, I just, I don't think that that's a bad thing. <laughs> that, <laughs> that, that, that the names were taken away. And then the whole thing with like the metaverse and like, if things, if things move on to the metaverse, like if that's where everything moves to, I will die in the woods. Like I, <laughs> I, I don't want to, I, I'm middle-aged and maybe I just sound old, but Man, all all I can see with this, and this is maybe cynicism here, but all I can see with this is ways to like reintroduce like classist problems into a space where we don't need to have them. And it's gonna screw over normal people and make some very few people a lot richer. And I think that's that's where I want to end that. I'm sorry that went longer than I wanted to, but go ahead. No, no, because I'm gonna throw a couple things on that. So um, I think for one, I'm I'm with you in terms of I think uh, Web three gets to be on my naughty list for 2021. I think mm-hmm. partly though because it's not time to talk about it yet, mm-hmm. really. And we will. Um, I I do want to talk about it next year because it's because I want to be thinking ahead at least right. on and and you know helping people understand what they should be keeping their eyes out for. But we are still probably two to three years out from a real meaningful implementation of Web3 technology, mm-hmm. like truly meaningful. Ethereum name service is out there. You can go register a .eth name um, already, cost you five bucks, and then another 90 to $300 in gas fees. Like, you know, it, you talk about like classist, right? Um, anybody can go buy a $12 domain right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, granted, yeah, you probably aren't going to get exactly the name you want, but it's still 12 bucks. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it, w- until gas, uh, fees come down, which uh, if you don't know, gas fees are like a, call it a process, a transaction fee that mm-hmm. basically applies to, um, the, the transaction. Um, then people who can take advantage of things like the eth- Ethereum namespace are going to be limited because mm-hmm. not everybody can drop $300 on that transaction. Yeah. Um, that's, that's expensive. That makes that out of reach. Um, I was looking into it because I'm I'm one of those folks like I'll often go on things and like secure my name so sure. to speak. I have a unique name. I like to make sure I have it where I've got it. And I thought, you know what? I'm just going to register it and, and set it aside. And I went in there and it was like, oh cool, five dollars and three hundred and twenty one dollars and ninety eight cents in gas fees. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? Bingo. Like screw that. I I think a lot about this about like I you know I know about it I have awareness of it and I can sort of see how it would be used in the future and I I don't know if I want to like I I don't know if I want to participate I don't know if that's something that I want to get on board with I've I've mentioned before um episode or two back about this when it just kind of came up in passing and I said you mm-hmm. know one of the things I do see like potential for in the future is sort of a trustable authentication model mm-hmm. that lets you take yourself from site to site without needing an account everywhere. Um, and it is secure and that, yeah, you know, 
and not shareable and all of that, not stealable, basically. That is, um, the, that is the use case that I could actually see something like this being useful that, for. That would be big. But, but man, we need to bone up the security seriously because like people are already getting, like getting NFTs stolen and other things. And I don't sure, just mean yeah. by right clicking and saving because people don't understand what NFTs actually are. I mean, like literally the wallets are getting stolen because the yeah. cards are getting taken. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you can always steal a set, set of credentials, especially if they're mm-hmm. saved on paper, which, you know, cold storage is a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other thing, though, that I'll just kind of throw out there as a caveat, artificial scarcity does not inherently have to be built into it. Right. You know, like, you can build a site, like, you could build a Web3 version of Facebook that's designed to, you know, store all of your posts and everything, and it can just grow and grow and grow. Mm-hmm. But what it does do is get back to this notion of how how do you pay for it? How do you, you know, how do you cover all of that processing time on mm-hmm. those blockchains um, right. and all of that? Like, if everything's a blockchain, like, those blockchains can grow ad infinitum. Yeah. Um, so there is a processing overhead, and for lots of small sites, that will never be a problem. But for huge sites, it could be a big problem. Um, but ultimately, what we need is the the first real, like, real-world proof-of-concept sites mm-hmm. that are going to run this way, um, like true mainstream sites, and then we'll see. I, I think that, like, I mean, I think the other thing that would have to happen, too, is have some kind of regulation around it by some kind, I'm not, I'm not saying the U.S. government, but some kind of governing body to provide oversight and regulation on this. There was a thing that happened last week um, where the fellow was selling something for, like, I want to say 75 Ethereum, which was a lot of money, but typed it in wrong and sold it for 0.75 Ethereum. And then a bot snatched it up and paid $8,000 in gas fees to have it processed very quickly. And then immediately turned it over and sold it for like 20 times what they paid or some, some crap like that. Yeah. Um, I, there's just, there, there's a lot of room here for exploitation. And yep. my concerns are, we're not there's not enough prudence here and i it feels a lot like my i'm feeling feeling similar to how i feel about a lot of stuff that i see with the javascript community which is you know the moving fast and breaking stuff but not considering the longevity or the maintainability of what they're proposing and so you're okay to move with, fast and break stuff when the stuff is not of consequence Right, right. Like, but you know, if, if what you're breaking is of serious consequence, <laughs> yeah. you need well, an undo I mean, button. Yeah, it's it's one thing to spin up a, a like a React site, and then all of a sudden you've got 500 React components, and it's like, what did we do? I, I I'm really trying to not be a luddite about it, but I am just concerned about like everyone has dollar signs in their eyes, and people aren't thinking about safety, and especially about like everyone you know it's just what can this do for me and like that bothers me so big fat lump of coal yeeted a coal but but not burnable coal just like synthetic coal it just looks like coal and has the same weight it's just a rock i'm throwing a rock at web3 a, a black rock a black rock obsidian yeah. it's glass a big chunk of obsidian it's already been burnt you can't burn it for energy <laughs> All nice right. list. Give us, let some, me, give us something good. <laughs> let me give you a nice list item. Yeah. Um, Vanilla JS. I'm making the call now, making my prediction. I think 2021 is going to be the year that Vanilla JS 
um, really is the way uh, of the future. I think at this point, most people are really starting to buy in on, you know, the importance of understanding how vanilla JavaScript works. Mm-hmm. Um for those who don't know, like I'm not saying vanilla JS as like a framework. Vanilla JS, JS is not a framework. It is literally <laughs> just writing e. plain JavaScript, yeah. not using things like jQuery. Um, the reason I'm I'm making this call now is jQuery usage across the internet, across like the top 100,000 sites, over 80 percent of them use jQuery. Mm-hmm. That number is. For virtually the first time, making a downward trend, like an actual measurable downward trend. Um, It was not much this year, but it was enough that I think we have actually seen the curve and it's all downhill from here. And so we're going to start seeing the death of things like jQuery. And I will celebrate, I will dance, and I will give it a very nice present for going away. I think I think that jQuery deserves whatever is the equivalent of like a um an honored burial. Yeah, jQuery, yeah. I, like it, jQuery may not be the thing anymore, but holy shit, that thing powered the internet at large for many years. Yeah, I, I and, don't say that to mean like yeah. man jQuery that that nasty little troll. Mm-hmm. No, it's just <laughs> time to move on. Yeah, like, I, I would agree with that. And I, I also I agree with you on the vanilla JS. And uh, just for reference, uh, we talked about vanilla JS on episode seventy one with Chris Ferdinandi, yeah. who is a really awesome person. Thank you so much for being on the show. Um, that was was that this year? No, that was last year, September last uh, year. I literally don't remember. That. I just looked it up. Um, yeah, I I agree with you. I think that things are going that direction. I think that um, I, I mentioned Rails seven earlier. Uh, a big thing in the new version of Rails is their Hotwire component, which is, um, do you remember, um, do you remember when we used to use Ajax to load partials of sites? Sure. Like, you know, you, you go to, so you click on a navigation and then it just retrieves the content that, and that gets swapped in place. Okay. More or less, that's what Hotwire is. Like HTML over the wire, it's pre-rendered and then just swaps it into place. Right. Um, so it's a lot faster. Uh, cause you're not loading the whole page anymore. There's no page refresh. It's just, you know, a couple kilobytes of data splattered into place. Um, fits well with vanilla JS. It's basically library independent because you're just using, you know, protocols instead of, um, well, not protocols, but you're using like, what, what's the word I'm looking for? What, what would Ajax be called? A technique or an API? Is it an API? I, I mean, because so. you're not like we don't do like a dot Ajax anymore. We do a fetch, and yeah, yeah, a fetch or, is an HTTP request that happens wait, over the wire it, to an is API. Fetch, is fetch the vanilla? Because it used to be XML XML HTTP request. Yeah, right. We don't have to do any of that anymore. <laughs> oh, okay. That's what. That's why I'm so big on <laughs> I've vanilla. Been, I've been JS really deep on backend for so long. Um, that, that's cool. where jQuery served its purpose. Yeah. jQuery gave us the dot Ajax yeah. request method. That unified all of those XML HTTP request objects mm-hmm. um, and different for Internet Explorer versus Firefox and all of that. Like it normalized it all down to one command and then you didn't have to worry about it. That mm-hmm. was great. Now we just have the fetch API. Yeah. Like that's awesome. It's all we need. Um, yeah. So I'm calling it. 
the year of vanilla JS jQuery is going to be on a downward trajectory from here on out. It hasn't, mm -hmm. we have nothing left to learn from jQuery. Um, and it was nice while you lasted. You had a real damn good run. I mean, what, 20 yeah, years? Yeah, legit. For the, legit. Basically. Thank you. I, I mean, to all the people that maintained it, like, thank you. Because I think that a lot of what we're, where we're at today is because, because of what jQuery did for us. Yeah. Um, from there, I'm going to throw out a lump of coal. Uh, this one goes out to uh, all of the web accessibility lawsuit trolls that are coming oh. out of the woodwork. More? Um, we saw uh, like a 25% increase last year, right? These are, um, wait, just to clarify, you're not talking about um, overlay stuff. You're talking about when people no, sue I'm talking websites. about lawsuit trolls. Yeah, like they're suing a site for not being accessible, but they don't right. actually care if they're accessible or not. They're just right. trying to take money. Okay. The they are abusing uh. the legal system in hopes of getting some quick paydays the same way people have abused DMCA and and content law to just blanket shoot out, you know, lawsuits in hopes of settlements um and to get money, not because they want to change the web for the better right. um, because it's, it's That's twofold. So it's, it, it doesn't, um, it, it doesn't improve anything by doing mm -hmm. that. And it's also not teaching the lesson of why it's important to make things better. Right. Um, in 2018, there were about uh, 2,300 cases in 2019. It was 2,890 uh, last year it was 3,550 that's yeah. a fifty percent increase over two years, and uh, over at uh, digitalcommerce360.com, they are crunching the numbers and are expecting the number to break well over four thousand by the time Jesus. this year is up, um, <sighs> which would be up another twenty percent basically um, from last year. So that's you know twenty to twenty five percent a year growth, and I'm concerned that twenty twenty two is going to be more than that. Yeah. Um, this is just a prediction. This is uh, not necessarily based on anything except intuition. Mm -hmm. I'm just concerned that it is too easy to file these cases, um, and there's too much opportunity to try and, and throw them around and, and get a quick payday out of it and not teach anybody anything. Um, and that sucks. And worse, under the veil of, like, trying to do something good. But, like... Oh, oh, this makes me mad. <laughs> yeah, like this, this is like all the wrong. Re yeah, this is a this yeah. is an earned lump of coal for those folks. Uh, um, the you know this is not the way we make the web better. Um, and it, it man, it's just until we have like some some good frameworks and good guidelines. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it's to this day we're still confused about whether or not like Section five hundred eight, like what does it cover. Does it only cover governmental websites or does it apply to anybody with a public presence? You know, mm -hmm. uh, can, can they make claims under title three? Does the web presence count as that? Or right. can they, can a company just say, well, if you need something, you have to call us. Right. We don't have to make our tool accessible. Like we have, we have an accommodation. It's called the phone. Call us like, <laughs> I mean, it, that's, no, that, that's, that's a legit. lot of people's answers. That, yeah. They say, yeah, no, we, we've made an accommodation. You can't use our website. We don't have the resources because we're not talking yeah. about places like Target and Domino's. I'm talking about 
Bill's Car Repair down the street, right. who has a three-page website that's basically brochureware, and they have like a form on it to schedule an appointment, right. and that form's inaccessible, and he's just like, I fix cars, man. I don't yeah, know yeah. how to fix the form, and I'm not going to shell out ten grand to somebody to do it. If you need something, call me. Like, right. He's not wrong. Like, you know, right. that's like, and there's... Is it- is it better to for is it better for Bill's car garage to not have a website at all than to have it be a website that is inaccessible only because he doesn't have the resources to make it accessible? It so here's the thing. Okay, so I'm gonna uh, actually roll this in with a, a shiny present. Um, okay, different topic, different subject. Um, but there's an underlying message here that I think is worth sharing. So I'm just going to kind of roll from one to the other. This present goes out to Dr. Jennifer King. Um, she's a privacy and data policy fellow over at Stanford University. Um, the reason I'm calling like her out as a person for a present in 2021 mm. for the web is she has taken over the darkpatternstipline.org. Ooh, okay. Say more of this. So, yeah, so this is a website. It's literally darkpatternstipline.org. Um, okay. And what she's doing is um, this is a site that was taken over from, I believe, the Consumer Reports Digital Lab. Um, okay. And they have taken it over uh, through a grant and some other stuff. And you can go there and you can literally report finding a dark pattern in the wild. Okay. Um, and then they have a gallery that is broken down by things like how did this harm you? Did it deny you choice? Um, was it uh, experienced discrimination? Did you feel shamed or tricked? Did you lose money or privacy or did you waste time? Like, mm-hmm. And you can go through here and see all of these examples, where it happened, um, you know, the person's description of it. Think of it, it's not quite like the BBB for dark patterns, but it's, it's <laughs> like that. So the reason, though, I'm rolling this in um, mm-hmm. There's an interview over at uh, futurity.org um, that you can read, and I'll have it linked in the show notes. And there's in this interview, the, the question is asked about, like, how do you distinguish between harmful dark patterns and something more innocuous, right? Just because something is bad doesn't mean it had bad motivation or, you know, bad emotion behind it. So Bill's car service didn't build something inaccessible the motivation of causing people harm. Right. Like, and if he could fix it, he would fix it. Right. But he can't. And we have to, and and this is where like concepts of like regulation and punishment. Mm -hmm. um, I was talking with somebody earlier and they asked, man, is there any way to like, you know, uh, take the ruler to the knuckles on people who do this kind of stuff? And I'm like, how? Because yeah. how do you distinguish this in a way that doesn't disproportionately cause more harm right. to people that aren't acting in bad faith? Like, they just don't have the tools or the resources or, or whatever, because they are violating the letter of whatever law in you, that situation. You know what would be really awesome? And I don't know how to organize this, but it would be so cool to have, like, a collective of people where um sites like bill's car garage or whatever you know like small mom and pop sites that just don't wouldn't have the money to do this correctly get like kind of collected into a list and then a collective of people would then go through this list and then offer them 
hey, we'll do your, we'll like your site's inaccessible. We'd like to help you out with this and then apply the few hours of work or whatever to bring it up to par. And just like on a volunteer basis, the, the, the list will be monumental. It will be absolutely massive and this will absolutely be a Sisyphean task, but it's still worth doing and it still improves things. And it's not like, I, I would say most low hanging fruit, like font contrast, um, font size, um, alt tags on images, setting your tables correctly, uh, using headings correctly. Those sorts of things can be done pretty easily and are easy to identify. And training people to do them isn't, um, it's not like advanced computing or anything, but something like that would be really cool. I think it is well motivated on your part, well-intentioned and impossible. <laughs> um, I, I think what really has to happen, because the thing is, Bill's car service probably built their site on Wix or Squarespace. Mm -hmm. um, and so, and and a lot of these tools are trying really hard to make accessible features. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that's where the lion's share of the work is going to be done, ultimately. Like, encourage these people to use these tools, which feels like a dirty advice, actually. Like, yeah. There was a time where I would never tell somebody to like, oh, you're going to have a better time setting your site up on Wix. <laughs> like that was not advice I would ever give. Shout out to Webflow, EJ Mason and Ruben Nick, episode 63. Uh, yeah, Webflow is another good one. Yeah. Web um, Webflow, they prior they put accessibility as a first class citizen. They Yeah, stuff. they have accessibility at we're, a high, we're, high we're, profile. We're not sponsored by them. Like just. But we they were on the show before, and I think that what they're doing is really cool. So, um, but all of these tools I think have improved it in great strides over the last five years. Yeah, um, and so maybe there's a, a secondary gift um, nice list there that like all of these platforms have done a lot to make mm -hmm. themselves better, make themselves more accessible, and those are the trenches where a lot of those battles are going to ultimately be won. Yeah. Um, and there's always going to be a few folks out there with just trash websites. If you just need like, you know, basically like a business card website or, you know, uh, your, what do we call that one? The, the kiss or the, um, Pam phone, phone address and menu, right? Yep. Pam, kiss Pam, kiss um, Pam <laughs> with consent. <laughs> right. If all you need is a phone address and menu or the equivalent for whatever your business is, um, those sorts of sites or services are fine. And no, no one's going to think less of you for using them. It's just like, you know, get your content up there, put out your shingle. Um, I've got one more for my nice list, but uh, okay. do you have anything else you want to throw out first? I, I legit, uh, we talked about it in the last episode and I am going to sign up for the Google uh, UX certification. Your, your list ends where mine does. It sounds like. <laughs> I like, I'm actually really excited about this. I haven't had a like coursework in a while. I'm excited about the structured aspect. I asked a coworker of mine who is our UX person at my job. Um, and she went to, I want to say the Flatiron School. Yeah. Um, or one of those, one, one of those, like, or no, it was a general assembly in DC, I think. And so she, she got her training there. But I, I don't know. I'm excited about this one. Just even just getting kind of the formal, like structured education around it should be neat. 
Yeah, I labeled mine a little more generically, and I was just going to say, I think this is going to be a good year for everybody for any kind of learning and training um, opportunities mm-hmm. to go out and take care of something new that you haven't tackled before. Yeah. Um, one of those on that list is exorcism. We've of course talked about it before. Mm-hmm. Um, exorcism version three is now out. So you can go and check them out and check out the new, uh, the new tracks and the new approach to everything, the new point system, all of that. Um, I uh, am on a technology advisory group for the high school Mm-hmm. Um, and a couple times a year, we get together and talk about like what is in the industry, what are some good resources that kids should look at. And mm-hmm. I made it a point to call out that they ought to look at having their class go check out Exorcism and set up a set up accounts and use that as part of the training. Because then, like if if a kid doesn't want to do JavaScript, cool, let them pick something else. Like yeah, there's because there's a lot of parity across all of those tracks, like the same yeah. kind of uh, example. The, uh, the Ruby track is great. I, I worked through a portion of the Ruby track on, just for fun, and it's really great. And and the teacher um, doesn't necessarily have to be an expert in those tracks then because mm-hmm. the, the, they're very self-moderating. So you can set up just say, I you know, your goal this week is to get three of those lessons done or something like that. Right. And the testing is built into it. You know, does it work? Well, the test is right there. Um, <laughs> so... That's going to be huge, I think, for people. We talked with uh, Jeremy Walker from Exorcism uh, back on episode 69 last year uh, in August. Yeah. Um, but also, so I said at the start, um, Discord, the reason I wanted to shout that out, drunkenux.com slash Discord, mm-hmm. um, Aaron and I are going to hold to our word. We are both going to go through the Google UX certification. Mm-hmm. We invite all of you, any of you who want to do that with us, um, to check it out. We are going to set up a channel on our Discord server where we can all talk, share our experiences, ask questions, whatever, get insights. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to be open about that. And then we'll come back in six months, eight months, um, depending mm-hmm. on. I need to double check and see when the next start date is. Um, or if we. Oh, can is just, it. Can we just jump in? I thought it, we well, it's like, it's like pole positioned, kind of, I think. Like, okay. Like it's, okay. it's self guided, but they start it at like different times. And I don't so know if cohorts. you can just jump in at any given point. Um, But we'll get an answer to that very quickly. But yeah, learning is sort of the next big, nice, good present. It's going to be a good year for that. The resources are getting so much better. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I liked Exorcism before, but with version three and like, then now you can do everything in browser. You don't even have to pull it down locally and do it. Like, Oh, nice. It's super cool. All right. I'll have to go back and check that out again. It's been a while. So, Think about uh, what your naughty and nice list is. Well, who's getting presents and who's getting coal? What are you looking forward to? What are you dreading for 2022? I think I said 2021 <laughs> earlier, and it's it's been that year. Um, oh, it's, it's 2020. Already... Here's the thing, Aaron. It's 2022. That means it gets uh, to be 2020 all over again. Electric book. 2022. <laughs> So, Aaron, one more surprise present I didn't warn you about or tell you about. Um, mm-hmm. But this one is not one I'm giving out. It's one that is uh, being given out to everybody. Uh, this comes from our sponsor over at Tella. Uh, so Tella is a, a platform that lets you capture your screen camera. You can present slides. Um, then you can customize those videos with different backgrounds. You can change your layout, add other video clips into it. 
But what they've just done that is super cool is their uh, Chrome browser plugin is now available for users. Oh, cool. Get in there. You can click on it. Now you have a lot more control over what you're capturing in your screen, in your editing. Um, and it just gives you a lot more flexibility in the editing um, outside of just, you know, in, in, in the platform, in the browser. Uh, this is great for either like recording updates for teammates. You can generate videos for followers on your platform, do demonstrations for customers. Uh, all of this with just one single browser-based screen recorder uh, that let you share your work and knowledge. What's super cool, if you go to their website, tele.com slash ducks, you can sign up for a free account, check all this stuff out. I've been playing with it. I've been able to like make some cool little screen captures of stuff for some of our uh, CMS users. Get my face up there because all of them love seeing my pretty beard in the afternoon. Like it's, <laughs> it's luscious golden locks. Um, but it really is like it's super easy to make a very nice looking uh, video that has kind of a personal touch to it as opposed to sort of a sterile screen capture with a video in the box uh, in the corner, you know, the, the video mm-hmm. corner box. Um, so check that out. Run by their website at tele.com slash ducks. That's T E. L-L-A dot com slash D-U-X. So, uh, it's maybe a little bit corny, but I, I do also throw a big, fat, metaphorical gift to all of the guests that we've had on this year. Um, I don't know the exact number, but I know that it's many. Um, and it's been really awesome to talk to all of you and 10, 12, Great. probably. Something like that. It's like half the episode. Half, yeah, roughly half the episodes, probably. Yeah. Uh, so I I always appreciate the insights that we have of the people that come on the show, and we greatly appreciate your time. So. Just wait. <laughs> I've, I've got a few names in the hat uh, that are nice. going to be coming out early in Season 5. Just saying. <laughs> and I'm excited. Great. And if I'm excited, that means I'm excited. <laughs> I'm not very like deep. <laughs> mm-hmm. So yeah, thank you. It makes the show better, and we appreciate it. And if you want to keep up with us, be sure to find us on Twitter or Facebook at slash Drunken UX, Instagram slash Drunken UX Podcast, or come join us on Discord at drunkenux.com slash Discord. If you're enjoying the site or the show, and you want to help support us, you can go by drunkenux.com slash support. Join our Patreon. Be a backer. We'll send you some free stickers and coasters and things. Thank you on an episode and uh, give you some extended length episodes, interviews, and things like that. And with that, that's a wrap on season four. Thanks for sticking with us all year. 26 episodes. 26 more coming next year. I'm still amazed. Four seasons, man. It's just wild. I'd say uh, enjoy your break, but we're recording next week, buddy. Wait, what? <laughs> Listen, <laughs> if there's anything at all I can do to surprise you anymore, it's that I have to, like, wake you up at 3 a.m. to record with somebody who's over in Europe or something like that. So, um, Hold on, I'm getting a little concerned now. <laughs> oh, you should be. You you should be very concerned because I have not clued you in on every decision I have made. It's, it's one of those problems where I've uh, not done a very good job at uh, keeping my personas close, but uh. <laughs> my users and my co-host closer. <laughs> Happy Christmas. Merry Happy New Christmas Year. Holidays. We Merry. look forward to seeing you in 2022. Stay with yeah. us. Have 
Happy holidays. Be safe, everyone.